Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Seat at the Table. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor for HR Daily Advisor. This podcast provides thoughtful conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the workplace with experts, leaders, and changemakers in the space. I'm certainly excited for today's episode and more than delighted to be joined by Bailey Showalter, VP of Talent Solutions at Cretley, the world's largest network of verified talent. Bailey, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to an exciting conversation. Absolutely. I am too. Of course, of course. So let's dive right into it. Bailey, please tell me, what is your definition of having a seat at the table? So I think it's it's easy to think of it quite literally, you know, being invited to a meeting, um, being included in some of the strategic conversations. But I, I don't think that's enough to really have a, a real seat at the table. When we think about the decisions that are driving the strategy of uh, organizational level decisions, being part of that or driving them directly, that's having a seat at the table. Not being included in the discussion or being asked for your feedback on it, but actually being the one making the decision or being very influential in that decision. And it can be hard to be intentional about including the right people at the table all the time, but it's worth well work doing, well worth doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. And I, and I think we have to start with the elephant in the room here for so many of us. I mean, honestly, for the world over, uh, right? With COVID-19, of course, we know that prior to uh, the pandemic, HR was making advances. But some would argue that those advances, was, those advances were happening kind of slow. And of course, with COVID-19 and, and its disruptions, it's forced a lot of changes, uh, including workplace culture, the way we work, as well as how and when. In today's climate, uh, when so many people are struggling to retain talent and we're seeing things with the great resignation and uh, so many other greats that are uh, coming about, what do you think it takes to cultivate an excited, engaged, and productive workforce? I think there are a few things. So there's really no silver bullet here. Uh, But, you know, the first that immediately comes to mind is when we had to figure out how to work remotely, mm-hmm. it really unlocked a lot of flexibility for people where we could be online, but we could step away to take care of something that was urgent. Um, we didn't have to commute. We weren't losing hours in the day, just getting into the, getting ready to go into the office, getting into the office itself. Um, and we found that a lot of productivity increased. But I think a lot of that productivity is not just because we're sitting in front of our computers for more hours of the day necessarily, but it's because we, when we, we can work when we are at our best and when it best suits our schedules. So flexibility is absolutely a key here. The other element here is we're, we're finding that more and more people are asking, if I work for you, what do I get back? If I give you my time and my talent, what are you giving me? And for a long time, the expectation was money, and that was probably good enough, and maybe a ping pong table and some snacks. But that's not enough anymore. And what we're really seeing from people is I want, I'm, I'm hungry. I want to grow. I want to develop in my career, and I want to do that on the track that excites me. So the other really big element here is employers investing in their teams and upskilling them and helping them retrain and moving them where they want to go, where their career ambitions lie and helping really forge that path. Rather than, you know, I think pre-pandemic, 
And for a long time, it's been said, you know, it was if you have enough gumption, you can figure it out. You'll you'll get where you want to go. But that's not good enough anymore. And it's up to employers to have really intentional uh, dis- discovery conversations and ongoing com- career coaching conversations with their teams and help them have access to the resources that will help them develop in their learning and then have tangible outputs that they can apply to future projects, to their promotions, uh, to their promotion applications, and really help them progress against their career ambitions. You know, to kind of sum it up, you know, I think they're, the two biggest things are acknowledging that flexibility is absolutely critical to a modern workforce and then helping your your people be their best selves and achieve their ambitions. Absolutely. That is wonderfully said. And I'm going to tie this into your recent Faces of HR profile that uh, we just did on you, which is phenomenal. And of course, to our our listeners, I'll have a link to that post as well within this. Uh, And in that same profile, you mentioned, and I quote, Companies and their clients are more aware than ever that a gap may exist between the values listed on their websites and the reality of day-to-day operations. Again, with COVID uh, and it's all of its disrupt- disruptions, they excuse me, uh, I love it again because uh, we all have to find value and honestly take shape in different forms recently. Uh, with that in mind, how important is it for HR leaders and organizations to take a good look at who they are and how they operate today? It's, it's critical. I think we all have the best intentions when we come to work uh, and generally in our lives. And so I think a lot of times when we create these values that are really important and we believe that they matter at the workplace, um, the instinct is we know best uh, because they're important to us. And so we end up accidentally creating them in a silo and it's not intentional, but they're created as a reflection of what we who were in the room at the time decided was the most important thing. And a lot of times the people who are on the ground level in your organization are not included in those conversations or in those value setting conversations. They don't have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, those values may not resonate throughout the entire organization or your frontline managers may feel disempowered to actually create the space to let people live into those. So one of the, you know, one of the areas that I've seen before is related to uh, having participation in IRGs um, or ERGs, kind of depending on how you call them in your organization. And what happens is a lot of times, you know, as leaders, we say this is very important to us. We we want to create safe spaces for all of our employees. You know, we are going to be co-sponsors. We're spinning up these programs. We're going to create leadership teams around them. It's going to be wonderful. And then our frontline managers are being asked to kind of give their teams time to participate in them, but they also still have to hit all of their daily KPIs. They also still have to hit the broader business objectives. And there uh, is often a time where that kind of frozen middle, the people who are responsible for driving those business business objectives don't really see a path to supporting what it would actually take to live our values because we as leaders didn't give them a seat at the table either, didn't include them in the conversation, and didn't figure out how to make all of this work together holistically and really create that truly inclusive workplace. So it's a complicated problem, but I I think bringing people into the conversation early and often and letting them define it, it gives a lot more validity and weight behind the the values that we say we, we practice. Absolutely. And I got chills with that last quote there. That was amazing. Uh, thank you for that. And with an inclusion in mind, staying on that point, 
How can HR leaders and organizations rework their company culture to make it more inclusive? I think asking asking the hard questions of the people who are impacted, which is everyone, um, but <laughs> but asking the hard questions and really, I think creating a space to get answers that are honest and, and real um, and hearing them for what they are. It's you know when it's something that we're so invested in saying I do a good job at this, it is easy to feel defensive when people are saying something that is counter to that. Um, but giving them a space to count, counter it and giving them space to say, this doesn't work for me and here's why. Here's why I don't feel included. Or conversely, here's what inclusion would look like for me. Here's what would make me feel like I'm part of this company, by, like I'm part of this organization, like I matter here, like my contributions make a real difference. Uh, there are lots of different ways that that can take shape and I don't want to prescribe those here from on high. Um, but, it, you know, I think it really comes down to asking the people who are who are in the role, in the seat and making sure that their voices and opinions are heard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What is Credly doing to ensure diversity, equity and inclusion are baked into its own corporate culture? A lot. And I think we've grown in that space. So we're not done, I will say, but we are doing a lot. So one of the ways that we are facilitating that is to create a space where anyone can talk to anyone in the organization at any time. So we have a fairly flat hierarchy, but everyone from the CEO down is available to anyone in the company to have a conversation with. And I like to think that we are fairly non-defensive about that. Um, And I say that from a personal story, when I was actually interviewing with Credly, it was earlier in Credly's journey, and I interviewed with five white men. And I you know, we were talking about creating a diverse and inclusive culture. And I was like, you, I, I have to address the elephant in the room here. Like, how are we going to do that if everyone making these decisions looks the same? And they said, yeah, you're right. And that's why we're having this conversation. And it didn't stop with me. You know, this is, isn't again, there's no silver bullet here. It was them acknowledging there was a gap and then saying, we need to get better at this. And we're going to keep inviting people whose perspectives and backgrounds are different from our own so that we can really have the right people at the table and keep us keep the pressure on us high to continue moving forward and getting better at this. The other place where it starts is, or I think the other place where we do a really good job is starting at the very beginning. Who are we interviewing? Who's, who are we talking to? And a lot of the uh, recruiting tools are really experience-based. And experience is a proxy for what you know how to do and what you can do in a role, but it's also a reflection of the opportunities that have already been granted to you. And so it inherently leaves people out of the conversation who would also be quite capable in that role. So we've been working on building tools to make a more equitable hiring process where you can actually search for candidates and source them on the basis of their skills. And we use that ourselves. We use that in our hiring process and we don't look at resumes uh, when, we're, when we're hiring, when we're sourcing through our own tool. We look at what skills people have and we reach out to them and say, hey, you know, you, you have all the skills that we need for a great data scientist. Do you wanna, do you wanna talk? And so we really try to uh, drink our own champagne as, as our head of engineering likes to say. But, but, you know, really live into the, the notion that what you have done is not necessarily a reflection of what you can do and finding constantly challenging ourselves to find better ways to bring people who can do 
what we are looking for rather than necessarily what who have done the role before. And that quite significantly opens the funnel and just creates a space for us to be talking to a much more equitable pool or a much and a much more diverse pool as well. It's not everyone who's all done the same thing. That's amazing. I could I could really I could talk about this for a while. It's something that we, you know, in, in our executive committee meetings, we're we're talking about it. You know, it's in our manager team meetings, we're talking about it. We're it's a very um, I would say it's a very intentional focus at the the company. It's something that we all care a lot about. Um, and I will also still say it's not done. We are always looking for how we can get better and moving towards that. So I think there are things we do well, and at the same time, we're always we're we try very hard to never get complacent and say we've 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 moved the needle, but that's not good enough. Of course. Well, and I understand that, but I will say be kind to yourself because as long as that needle is moving forward, that's the mission. That's the goal, right? We're going to move forward until we we hit whatever end goal we want to for however long possible. Um, but but great, great, great uh, response. It, it takes me back to your, of course, your faces of HR profile. Um, again, a, another thing uh, that you said, uh, of course, you just mentioned helping people find their next opportunity, not only based on their skills and experience, well, not only based on their skills, but also their experience. Yes. Um, uh, and that's one of the reasons why you joined the company. Uh, and I loved also that you stated that your service mindset, that is what is driving you to help others as well. A service mindset, but also, again, helping people find their next opportunity based on their skills and experience. As more and more people are looking to make major career moves or in changes, how important is it to move forward with those two things in mind? It's absolutely critical. I think we're at a moment in the economy that demands us to change the way that we have gone about hiring, where we, for a long time, were able to get away with hiring people who had specific sets of experiences that we could say with confidence, this person has done this role a whole lot, and so they would be good at this job. But the COVID introduced a series of curveballs that we have not recovered from. Uh, and there are some industries that have rebounded exceptionally well. I kind of think of it as a K-shaped economy or recovery. So there are some that had kind of that straight line up. They're doing amazing, unprecedented growth, hiring like crazy, can't find enough people to fill jobs. Then there are others that were really struggling to rebound. They're, the entire way that they did business was challenged or restricted uh, because of COVID protocols and is only now starting to start to look normal again. But I think normal is going to be redefined. And people who are in those industries that were very negatively impacted by COVID didn't have two years to wait around for the economy to rebound. They had to think about what skills do I have in my portfolio that I can apply to these other industries that can't hire fast enough. And so there's this real moment in the in the market where not only is moving to a place where we're saying, I want to hire you because of what you can do and what you can contribute and not necessarily where you've been. Uh, that just matters from an, from a, 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 from an inclusion perspective. Um, but we're, we're, we're seeing it from a very practical place as well, where being able to say the customer service skills that you gained in your hospitality role are actually a really excellent segue into customer success at a tech, at a tech company for example. And so being able to bridge those gaps, both for the job seeker to say, hey, these are some roles that you may never have considered, but you may be a good fit for. 
Um, and also for a hiring manager perspective, who are already super overloaded and don't have the time to think about it. Same thing for a recruiter where everyone's drowning right now um, and being able to say, here's a really bright line between what they have, what the skills that they have developed in this other industry that's not necessarily an obvious connection, but would be a super clear fit for what you're hiring for, helping make those connections programmatically at scale. That's how we leapfrog ourselves forward. We're going to segue just a little bit here. It's still in that space of inclusion, but tapping a little bit into belonging to tapping more into belonging um, here as well. Um, of course, like you just mentioned, COVID-19 has thrown so many curveballs our way. But we're also hearing a lot of talk about authenticity versus an adapted self in the workplace. Can you talk about the importance of authenticity in today's work culture and the value it can bring to organizations? You know, I think when, when you were asking before about what what's changed, this is another big piece of it. Um, the idea that we need to be a professional self and a personal self is a lot less appealing when all of that self is at home all the time. And so creating a space for us to just be our best whole authentic selves, um, it turns out not only does that just feel better as an employee and as a person, it actually really helps improve our creativity, our problem solving, our innovation, because we're bringing all of our experiences together. We're not siloing and segmenting who we are at work. We're able to say uh, kind of holistically, here's my background. Here's what I can offer. Uh, And when we have all of these different perspectives in a room together, brainstorming around a problem, we're a lot more likely to come up with something innovative or interesting or different in the market rather than more of the same because we are shutting off part of ourselves. So being able to really show up authentically, it's it, it, it's so it's so fundamentally important. I get really excited about it, but it's just so fundamentally important to to work today, I think, to the future of work. And I don't think it's something that people are willing to sacrifice again. I think now that we've had a taste of the other side, there's a, there's a demand. There, there's there's a, a um, expectation that if I cannot show up authentically, this isn't going to work. The, the company culture is going to have to change to allow authenticity rather than me going back to being adaptive. Absolutely. I agree with that. Wonderfully said. And of course, t- to your point, uh, it also, I think, helps with uh, employee mental health and well-being as well. And that improves when you can show up to the workplace as you are. A hundred percent. If you don't have to shut off a part of yourself or hide some a part of yourself, I mean, to do that is, is emotionally and mentally taxing. To do that every day, all day, and have, feel like there's something that you can't bring or that isn't well-reflected professionally, it's, it's a culture that we were taught, uh, but we are seeing that it is not the best way to work, to be, uh, to be a productive. There, there's so much better space just being able to, to be ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and with that in mind, Bailey, what do you see corporate culture headed? Or, or perhaps the question should be, where would you like to see corporate culture, corporate culture headed? You know, I do see, I, I think it's, well, I, I'm stumbling a little bit because I think there are a couple of trends that are almost counter to each other. But I think the roots of them is in um, employees are, I think, going to be driving a lot more decisions about corporate culture than has historically been the case. So, you know, I, I'm seeing, you know, the, the hesitation that you heard earlier was me seeing kind of competing LinkedIn posts, for example, where people will say, 
you know, we we've told everyone that our workforce is completely remote. So we're going after people who are at companies who have said we're going back to the office or have a flexible time in office. And then there are other folks from those teams who are saying, yeah, but our teams really want to be next to each other. They really miss that in-office collaboration. So we're going after people who have said they're going fully remote. And at the heart of both of those is not a right answer, but it is and it is the teams who are saying, this is what I want and what I demand in my work experience. And I'm going to find a workplace that suits me. Uh, and I think we're going to see that happen and pop up in every aspect of work and in every aspect of the corporate culture where settling for something that doesn't work well in your life is probably a non-negotiable at this point. So it's it, companies are going to have to be prepared to be flexible. They're going to have to be prepared to be generous. And they're going to have to be prepared to be supportive. And what that means to different people at different times may change. And so that goes back to the flexibility. But I, I think without those three elements, uh, corporate culture will honestly be hamstrung and probably start to become a hindrance to their ability to continue to grow. Beautifully said and, and, and amazing points there, too. Uh, is there anything else that you like to talk about or add, Bailey? You know, I think as we think about creating, I, I think the other thing that uh, I would add is kind of going back to an earlier point where we all bring our best intentions to work. Um, to the tools we use, to the way that we approach problems. And sometimes in trying to make decisions quickly or efficiently, we don't necessarily think about the downstream of impacts of those things. And so, you know, I, I think when we are thinking about ways that we can create a more inclusive uh, workforce, we need to make sure that we are very intentional about who we bring to the table, who we listen to, how we listen to them, how we create safe spaces. I also think we need to apply that same rigor to the technology that we're using to make our lives easier. I, I'm starting to see some trends, you know, some buzzwords that are that are thrown around. Everyone loves AI these days, for example, or machine learning or NLP, natural language processing. And we love the cool technology. And it's not that it's invalid. It's not that it can't add a lot to our ability to be effective. But I think you know, for a long time, we kind of trusted what's behind the scenes must be working, it must be good if they're building it with good intentions. But we've also seen enough cases where, you know, in retrospect, there weren't diverse teams even building the AI. And so it had inherent biases built into it, you know, totally by accident, totally unintentionally. But then we buy that tool and apply that to our processes, not understanding what biases we may be introducing unintentionally, where we're still bringing again, the best intentions to the process. And so this is not to say become an expert in all of the new, very difficult to understand technologies, but I think it is to say when we are applying technology to human challenges and, and, and problems that we're facing today and we're trying to create places where people can be authentic, where we're creating an inclusive workplace, we need to understand the tools that we're using to do that and we need to understand them well. So... You know, I think the, the last thing that I would add is kind of a challenge to make sure that we are from the ground up when we're thinking about uh, inviting people to to the table, when we're when we're trying to make decisions with with an inclusive group, every piece that goes into that is super important. Uh, and we're the ones who are on the hook for getting it right. So we need to be really careful um, and thoughtful about each step of that process. And then when all of that's working together and we feel really great 
that we've done our due diligence, we've done our homework, we know what we know what goes into this, and we know that the outputs support the the intent that we have behind this. Then we can use technology to really further our goals, and all of a sudden we've created this really beautiful flywheel. So I think making sure that all of the pieces work together, that they're intentional, and that we understand them, unlocks a lot of additional opportunity for us. Beautifully said. Again, chills, and I and I think that's the the big picture, right? Making sure all the pieces work together, being intentional with that. That's amazing. Thank you for that. My my final question for you, Bailey, uh, my million dollar question that I love to ask every guest here. What's on your heart? Oh, gosh. You know, it's funny. I've actually been thinking, uh, this is a really technical answer. I've been thinking a lot about the, the implications of where technology is leading us. Mm. And so you can probably tell by my additional statement. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> making sure that you know, we have we have all these sci-fi movies, right, about technology gone very, very wrong, where we create these um, these uh, algorithms, these bots, these robots, all these things with wonderful intentions, how they're going to save humanity. And then it goes very sideways. And then we have a superhero that has to save the day. And that's not the world I want to create in. It's not the world that I think we need to create. But, you know, when we're trying to systematize people and people decisions, we need to be really careful about it. And so I think this notion of kind of responsibility, ethics, sustainability with the technology that we're using has been something that's been really, really top of mind for me. But all of this is just, all of this is in service of, oh my gosh, we have we have one of these moments that you probably only get once or twice in your career to completely change the way work is done. Yeah. And for us to get this right as a generation is amazing. And I'm just so... I am simultaneously so energized by the opportunity and also so um, aware of the impact positively and negative of the outcomes of our decisions that it's it's a moment that I really want to make sure that we meet. Again, chills. Chills, chills, chills. That was amazing. That was beautiful. Thank you for that. Oh, my God. Of course, I could keep talking to you for the next hour about all of these things. That's amazing. Uh, Bailey, I truly appreciate you taking the time to be here with me today. This conversation has been phenomenal. Well, thank you. It's been so much fun. And I really appreciate you having me here today. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Remember, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Audible. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. Join us next time at the table. We'll certainly have your seat waiting for you.